You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. I am so happy to be here. I bring you greetings from Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, which is four hours and three minutes south of here, Google tells me. And it is uh, a joy to serve there. I'm one of seven elders now with C.J. Mahaney and Jeff Perthwell and others. We're five years into a church plant experiencing the grace of God in numerous gospel partnerships and opportunities. And in fact, this morning, right now, we are sending out a couple, and there are two children, to plant a church in Ethiopia. It's our second church plant. And... uh, if there's any place I'd rather be than here, it'd be there. But I'm not there, so I'm here, so I'm really happy to be here. As uh, Nate mentioned, my job, uh, my real job is Director of Sovereign Grace Music. Our, our mission is to produce Christ-exalting songs and training for local churches from local churches. It's a very sweet job. And uh, we just released two albums uh, this past, in the last few months, really, Prayers for the Saints Live, which is appropriately enough, a live album, uh, composed of songs that help us realize we're in between the first and second comings of Jesus. So they're songs of longing, anticipation, expectation. And then we released our fifth kids album, five, count them, called Listen Up. It's based on the parables of Jesus. And I love our kids albums. And uh, if you have kids between the ages of uh, four and 11, that's where those are aimed at. Uh, so those are all joys, but the greatest joy uh, here this be, is being here this morning with my wife, Julie, uh, who's in the front row, and whenever I travel, it's always better when Julie's with me. Uh, we were married 41 years last August, and oh man, it's so good. Uh, another joy is being able to partner with this church, Winona, Christ Covenant Church in Winona Lake, for the advancement of the gospel through Sovereign Grace Churches. Uh, I know this church is a fairly recent adoption uh, but if you're newer to, the, to Sovereign Grace and what it's about, I just want you to know it's more than a denomination. Just sign on the dotted line, yeah, I believe that, I believe that. Okay, good, 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 good to go. It's, it's a relational network. And we, I consider Nate and the other pastors here more than ministerial associates. You know, we've gotten to spend a number of times with Nate and Lauren in particular, getting to, Nate and Robin, and we're getting to know uh, the other pastors as well. And, and we... We consider them friends, and we thank God for them, and we thank God for you. It's a privilege to to work together to see the gospel proclaimed in the world. Well, you don't need to be a very observant person to realize that people like to sing. Like, people sing everywhere. Uh, They sing at birthdays, they sing at parties, they sing at weddings, at funerals, they sing at sporting events, they you know, we sing in choirs, we, we sing in musicals, people keep writing musicals, uh, we sing in the shower, we sing in the car, people everywhere sing. But Christians especially like to sing, uh, whether it's a chorale or a chorus, whether it's a traditional hymn or modern worship song, Christians are always singing. When we get together, we sing. And I think that God's word, well, I know that God's word can help us understand better why we do it because when the church sings, it's different from any other kind of singing. And if you're not someone who likes to sing, I pray that by the end of the message, message you'll realize why God wants you to sing and have more of a heart to sing. Daniel Levitin is a scientist 
and a musician who has studied music. He wrote a book called your, This Is Your Brain on Music. And he attempts to explain how we experience music and why it's so important to us. And in the one chapter, My Favorite Things, he explains why we like the music we do. In our first year as infants, we tend to like music that we've heard while we're in the womb, which is kind of weird because it probably sounds really muffled in there. But there's some identification with that. By age two, we're starting to be affected by the music of our culture. So a toddler in Mumbai, India, is going to like different music than a toddler in Moscow, Russia, or a toddler in Minneapolis, Minnesota, because they're, they're hearing the music of their culture. Uh, by the time they're three or four, they start to want music that's a little more complex, which is why you know, young kids are, are liking, they like nursery rhymes and very simple songs, sing-songy songs. But as they get older, they start to want something that's a little less predictable, a little more complex. And then when we hit our teen years, our hormones are raging, and everything has an exaggerated significance. If you're a teenager, I'm sorry, but that's true. Uh, And so that includes the music that we listen to, which is why, even though I'm in my 60s, when Julie and I are together, we still listen to music that we we liked back in the 70s when we were teenagers. It's because it had such an impact on us. And now here's an interesting thing. You don't have to have a degree in music or be an expert in music to know what kind of music you like. I have a piano performance degree from Temple University, but it doesn't make me any more of an expert on what kind of music you like because you know the kind of music you like. And a lot of times we bring our preferences into this room on Sunday mornings. And there are certain kinds of music that we like, certain kinds of music that we don't like. You know, we think worship has to be music that's done by a certain band or artist or has a certain tempo or has to be a certain song or we only worship to fast songs or slow songs or simple songs or complex songs or old songs or new songs. And we all have these kind of desires and preferences. So the question I want to ask this morning is what kind of music does God like? Like as we're doing our thing, what's he thinking? Does God even like what we do? I've had this nightmare, this recurring nightmare that I'll get to heaven and find out that God's favorite music is opera. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it, is, is there a purpose for the songs we sing that we might be missing? Why do we even sing? Why do we worship God in song? Why, why don't we just come together and, like, do a pledge? Or, you know, knock blocks of wood together? Or, or, or wave flags? And, you know, why do we sing? So now, I'm a musician, but I don't want to share out of my personal experience why we should sing. So I'd like you to turn to... Colossians chapter 3, book of Colossians in the New Testament, right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right before the T's, in case you want to know where that is in your Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17, particularly verses 16 and 17. A little context, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians because there were some false teachers trying to influence them. And they were saying that Christ isn't enough. You need this and this and this and this. And anytime you add something to Christ, you're taking something away. So Paul wanted to direct them to Christ, and he especially wanted to direct them to the gospel of Christ. 
So in chapter 1, he presents Christ as the one who has reconciled people and all things to God through his blood shed on the cross. He says, this is what matters. This is what you need to remember. In chapter 2, he tells them that we are to be rooted in Christ, we are to walk in him, and we are to be built up in Christ. So it's all about Christ from beginning to end. Now as he begins chapter 3, he says that we've been raised up with Christ, and our life is in Christ. And then he starts telling them how to live a Christ-centered, gospel-driven life together in a pagan society, which is what we are attempting to do. And then in the middle of that, he starts talking about music. And what we're going to learn from this passage is that we worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel, to make those relationships deeper. That's why we worship God together in song, to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel with God and with each other. Singing is meant to be more than a warm-up for the sermon. It's meant to be more than a means of drawing big crowds. You know, some churches are built on great music, and that's why people come. The music we do in church, the songs we sing, are meant to be more than just this, this highly charged emotional experience. Singing together is meant to be more than a platform for frustrated musicians who can't find a gig on Saturday night, so they say, well, let's just do Sunday. It's more than that. It's meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. So we're going to turn to God's word, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 of chapter 3 in Colossians. And this is God speaking to us. These words are really important. This is the most important thing I will say this morning. So let's open our ears and our hearts. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This passage gives us at least three reasons why God wants us to sing together. Here's the first. To impress 
the gospel of Christ on our minds. To impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. We read in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now the word of Christ is the word about Christ, or the gospel, to which the entire word of God points. Christ is to be the center of our singing. So one theologian puts it like this. Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it is especially about what God has done for us through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. And I would add, as the one who points us to Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is the life in Christ. So Paul is saying that as we sing, we are teaching and admonishing each other. That's a mental activity. It describes a horizontal element of our singing. We all know that when we, when we sing as a church, we are worshiping God. It's directed to God. But it is also to each other so that the word of Christ may dwell in us richly. That's the goal. The word of Christ dwells in us richly. Now, yesterday, I had the unexpected joy of my first encounter with Rise and Roll Donuts. <laughs> and I hear you have one. Is it in Warsaw? Is that what it is? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, as I went back, I'd already eaten breakfast. As I went back and examined the table, I, first thing I, what happened was I smelled them. And it's a great smell. And I looked at them, and they looked great. And I actually touched one. Just You could see where this is going. I, I touched one. It felt great. But as good as it smelled, and as good as it looked, and as good as it felt, I, it was a totally different experience having a rise and roll donut dwelling in me richly. <laughs> and that was my aim in all those things that led up to that. It, it was, I wanted it to dwell in me richly, and so far I've had three rise and roll donuts dwelling in me richly. <laughs> and it's a great experience. Now what Paul is saying is singing enables the gospel of Christ to dwell in us richly. And what his hearers would be interpreting that to mean is that the gospel is meant to affect and influence and govern our lives. And music helps that happen. Well, how does it help that happen? By impressing the gospel of Christ on our minds. Well, how does it do that? Well, singing helps us remember and meditate on words. Scientists are just beginning to understand how this, how this works. But God made our brains to understand and categorize and remember patterns in music better than just in words. It's why people get paid lots of money to write jingles that stick in your head and will not leave. It's why people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to write pop songs that will do the same. It's why my mother-in-law, at, at, at her, in her final years, came to a point where she didn't know who I was but she could remember songs that she learned as a teenager. We see it in the Bible. Deuteronomy 31, when Israel's about to enter the promised land, God tells Moses that they will turn to idols after they enter the promised land. So he says to Mo Moses, 
Teach them this song so that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. That's what songs do. We remember them. In fact, before people knew how to read or write, poems and music were often used for significant events like treaties or blessings or covenant promises or prophecies to help people remember the significance of what was taking place and to help them remember what was actually taking place. Singing also helps us meditate on the truths of the gospel more profoundly. It helps us stretch out words. Uh, So I could say to you, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Or I could say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. It probably takes three times as long to do that. And you know what that means? I can think about it for three times as long as it would have been if I just said it. Singing also helps us put spaces between words so that we can reflect on them. For instance, who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Say it that way, or we could say, Who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? And sometimes I'll answer that as we're singing. Uh, Especially the second verse, Who has given counsel to the Lord? No one! Who can question any of his words? No one! Who can... It's, it's that little space that enables us to interact with what, what we're saying. Singing also helps us repeat things without sounding like we're morons. <laughs> if I started talking, if I started talking and repeating everything and repeating everything I was saying, I was saying, you begin to wonder, begin to wonder if you had a problem, you had a problem, or if I had a problem, if I had a problem. But when we sing, it sounds totally normal. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, one more time. It is well with my soul. And we do that three times in the song, four times if you repeat the last chorus. But no one's one's thinking, why are we saying these words again and again and again? It's so that we can remember them, so they can be impressed on our minds. And that's what singing helps us do. It impresses the gospel of Christ on our minds. That's one of the ways it enables the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And here's something important to note. God says that the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly, not musical experiences. It's a different thing. Music played by itself, sung and played well, can produce emotion in us. It can have an emotional effect on us with no words. Let me demonstrate this. 
Well, I can't demonstrate it because the piano's off. Hold on a second. Well, maybe I can't demonstrate this at all. Yeah, the piano's off. Okay. Oh, here it is. Hold on. <coughs> so as we sing, there's a number of things we can focus on. We can focus on the surroundings. We can focus on people. We can focus on the, the aesthetics. We can focus on the words or we can focus on the music. Now, God intends us to focus on the words because he wants the word of Christ to dwell on us richly. But music itself can affect us emotionally. Now, what emotion am I communicating through that music? Uh, this is congregation participation time. Just uh, anybody, just a word. What, what emotion comes to mind? Calm. Okay, good. That's good. That's enough. Yeah, it's not, you're not thinking anger. You're not thinking celebration. You're thinking calm, peace, reflection. But here's the thing. You have no idea why I'm calm. You have no idea, because there are no words. God wants the word to dwell on us richly. And specifically, he wants the word of Christ to dwell on us richly. So sometimes we come in, and we might just be affected by the music. And people will say, oh, I so like the worship of that church. because." And what they're really saying is, I just like the music. That's not God's intention for why we sing. He wants the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That's why we're told to teach and admonish one another when we sing. We're not just singing notes. We're singing words. And they, those can teach and admonish each other. Now, that's not the only time teaching and admonishing takes place. We're teaching right now. But it's one of the ways we're to benefit from singing. And that's why, if, if you're new to Christ's covenant, it's why we sing wordy songs. Because you need words to communicate truth. It's why we don't just sing songs that repeat the same you know, four-word phrase over and over and over and over. Because God's big. He needs a lot of words to describe him. We need a lot of the words to express our emotions to him. So the word of Christ is meant to dwell in us richly. That means especially that we're going to be singing about what Jesus Christ did for us when he left his throne in heaven to become an infant, to grow up to be a man who would bear our sins in his body on the tree so that we could be forgiven and justified before God. That's, that's a story we'll never get tired of. And God says, I want that story dwelling in you richly when you sing. So as worshipers, our first responsibility is to think more about the truths we're singing than the music that we're hearing. And they're actually meant to work together. The music is meant to serve the words we're singing. So worship and song deepens our relationship with God and with each other because it impresses the gospel of Christ on our minds. Here's a second reason we sing. To impress the gospel of Christ on our hearts. Same verse, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
do you realize that God cares about how we sing? Like, it's, it's not impressive that we just show up and our lips move and we make noise. That God really cares about what's going on in our hearts. So he says, with thankfulness in your heart. Singing is not only an educational event, it's an emotional event. And what are we getting so emotional about? You know, when you're at a sporting event, uh, especially college event, you know, when your team is doing great, you'll sing your, your, your school song, whatever your school song might be. Here, we're singing about the victory of Jesus Christ over death, sin, hell, and the grave. That's pretty amazing. That is re- it's really amazing. And we've experienced the kindness and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. When we should have received his wrath and judgment. It's amazing. We sing with thankfulness in our hearts. Now that can also be translated in grace, singing your hearts to God. And one one, uh, theologian, Gordon Fee, says, Thus the focus is not so much on our attitude toward God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude toward us that prompts such singing in the first place. In other words, we don't have to walk into the room feeling particularly thankful. But as we meditate on how kind and merciful God has been to us, a song of thankfulness is going to rise up. That's the way it works. But actually, singing works in two ways on our emotions. It both expresses and stirs up affections in our hearts for God in response to the gospel. Singing is a beautiful and powerful way of expressing the joy and the gratefulness that rises up in our hearts. John Piper said it like this, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. In other words, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is so good that we just couldn't come in here and just stand and sit and not sing. Gotta sing, because it's that great. But what if you don't feel like singing when you come in? Well, singing is a great means of stirring up our affections. Great American theologian Jonathan Edwards said it like this. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose. And with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And and notice that Paul uses the phrase psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He uses the same phrase in Ephesians 5. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The scholars don't know exactly what that phrase means, but at the very least, it communicates a complexity, a diversity, a broadness to the kinds of songs we sing. Why? Because God is too big to be confined to one kind of song. There is no, like, God-approved worship style. Now, some of us think there is, right? 
uh, some of us think there is. I know what kind of music God likes. It's this, this hymn. That's what he likes. This is his favorite. You know, and, and there are others who say, well, no, no, God only likes what was written in the last 10 years. Or he only likes songs by this artist. God's bigger than any musical style. And if he's not bigger than a musical style, then your God's not very big. He's not the God of the Bible. And along with that, there are too many ways we can express our gratefulness to God to be restricted to one kind of music. So we encourage diversity in music when we sing. And it's with thankfulness in our hearts, meaning the, the, the what should characterize our singing when we're together is not morbid introspection, is not apathy, is not uh, lethargy. It should be gratefulness. Gratefulness, thankfulness. And he says it's thankfulness in our hearts. Now what that doesn't mean is thankfulness that no one can see. Well, it's in my heart. I'm singing in my heart. My lips aren't moving, but I'm singing in my heart. Really, God hears it. That, that's what it is. That's not what he's talking about. When the Bible uses the word heart, you may have heard this before, typically it refers to your whole being. It represents your whole being. Everything about you. You say body, soul, and spirit. So our whole beings are engaged when we sing. Not just our lips, but our faces, our hands, our feet. Everything about us is engaged in thankfulness. One of my favorite verses in this, on this topic is Psalm 34, verse 5, where David says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. You should have someone in your family or friend just like secretly video you sometime when you're singing. And just take a look at your face and ask, does that look radiant? We might be surprised. Because I'm always in front of people. And I see everybody's faces. And there are a lot of radiant faces. But, you know, some people you wonder, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. They can't be thinking about how merciful God's been to them in Jesus. Because if they were there, it would show. It would show. And so when we gather, we are seeking to see the gospel of Christ impressed upon our hearts. Because that's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to do as we're singing. Uh, it, it's not about what other people are doing. It's not about how I feel. It's about how worthy Jesus Christ is. He is glorious. You see that kind of response in sporting events. When, when you, you go to an event, uh, whether it be football or basketball, soccer, whatever, and you're, you're excited about your team winning, and there is just this natural expression of response. So uh, Super Bowl is coming up. I, I, I hesitate to go into sporting events because I'm not a sports guy. Um, but I know the Super Bowl is coming up. I can't remember at the moment who's playing. I know the, the Eagles and the Patriots. Is that right? Okay, so say you're an Eagles fan. Because I don't know anyone who's a Patriots fan. That's not true. Um, okay, so say you get to go to the game. And you're there. Say you're from Philly, okay? You're from Philly. And you, you're at the game. And you're, you're watching it. And... You, the Eagles score, 
the, the winning touchdown. Three seconds ago, they scored. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, wow. Thank you, Oliver. You got exactly right. Wow. Our, my team won. <laughs> I'm overjoyed. You, you, no one's telling the Eagles fans, okay, look, you got to raise your hands. This is what you do. You got to raise your hands. You got to just go like this. You, you got to be loud because that's what people do when they recognize their team has won. You don't have to tell anybody that. Why? Because they are so engaged. They are so a part of it. They so want this. Brothers and sisters, we were under the judgment of God. We were headed for hell. And God, in His mercy, sent His Son to take our sins in His body on the tree where they were completely paid for. All of them. Then Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death and Satan, and hell, and the grave, and now he's reigning, and one day he's coming back for his bride, and they're going to spend eternity with him forever in his presence. Eternal joy. Yes! Isn't that worth it? Amen. It's exactly right. Okay, so thank you for responding rightly. That's what we're to do. That's what we're doing when we're singing. You know, we sing these lines. They're just amazing. Come behold the wondrous mystery. We're teaching and admonish each other. Slain by death, the God of life, but no grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord. He is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when he comes. You just, it's just hard to sing that without being affected. But we do it. We manage somehow <laughs> to do it. So God is telling us here how he wants us to sing and the benefits that come as a result of it. Okay, thirdly, we sing to impress the gospel not only on our minds and our hearts, but on our lives. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. God the Father through him. Paul makes it clear that the word of Christ or the gospel isn't something that we simply sing about. We're to live in light of it. It's to affect the, the, our choices, our decisions. We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, or God the Father through him. So how does singing Help us live the gospel, live in the good of the gospel. Well, let me suggest some ways. Singing deepens our unity in Christ. It deepens it. You know, some of us sing on our own, and it's good to sing on our own. I encourage you to sing on your own. But God intends for us to sing together. Because singing together expresses and encourages our unity in the gospel. You know, we're not one because we like, we're not one church because we like the same kind of musical styles. If we, if we took a poll and asked, you know, what's your favorite music? What's your favorite music? There'd be a lot of different answers. This church is one because Christ has broken down the dividing wall that was between us and made us one new man. So we are one new man in Christ and he is our unity. He 
is why we can get together as one. And singing helps express that. As one person said, private acts of public worship are a contradiction in terms. We come together to celebrate our unity in Christ. I encouraged the earlier meeting. They were kind of spread out all over the room. I said, guys, next time you're together, everybody should be here, right here. It's a way of saying we're together. So you guys are doing a good job. You're like spread out, you know, nicely throughout the auditorium. Uh, singing, secondly, reminds us of what life is all about. The words for the songs that, that are sung here are, are carefully chosen. Uh, you know, Nate, Nate and others don't pick songs just because they feel good. They pick songs that are actually good for us, that, that proclaim how the gospel makes a difference in the way we live. So we remind ourselves that there's nothing more we can do to earn God's forgiveness. We are no longer under condemnation. When we sing songs like, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That is such great truth. And we should realize that as we're singing and realize that affects the way we walk out of here. We walk out of here knowing we're forgiven. Singing reminds us our suffering is never wasted. It has a purpose and meaning in God's plan. So we sing. We're going to sing this a little later. No guilt in life. No fear in death. Okay, who here occasionally struggles with guilt or fear? Just raise your hand. Okay, yeah, guys, do you realize what we're singing? No guilt in life. No fear in death. Why? Because it's the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands our destiny. Now, it's appropriate that a lot of us struggle with guilt and fear. That's why we come together every week, every week to remind ourselves of what's true and what's eternal and what matters. And, of course, we can do this throughout the week as well. But we do gather as the church to remind each other. We have confidence in our battle against sin and the flesh. So we sing in a, in a version of uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. What a glorious truth to proclaim. And the final way singing prepares us for life is by preparing us for the life to come. It reminds us of what's coming. Singing together is one of the clearest foretastes of the powerful, glorious, unending songs being sung around the throne. And our singing anticipates and reflects that song. Even though we're limited now, we're limited in our time, this meeting's going to end. We're limited in our understanding, we can't appreciate everything that God is. We're limited in our strength, our bodies just can't hold out. But one day, we'll never run out of time. I don't even know if we'll have watches in the new heavens and the new earth. We might. Maybe not calendars. It won't matter. We'll, never, we'll have greater understanding. We'll see him. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he really is. We'll, we'll have glorified bodies. You know, 100 push-ups, no problem. Singing for 10 hours, 10 years, no problem. We've got strength. That day's coming.
coming for those who know Jesus Christ. So what will that be like? What will it be like when we hear and sing songs like we've never heard and sung them before? Well, a man who spent a lot of time thinking about that is Randy Alcorn, wrote a book called Heaven, and a book called Edge of Eternity. And in it, he, he imagines what it's going to be like around the throne. And that's a beneficial thing to do as long as you're being restrained by biblical constraints. So I'm going to read a portion of that and then we're going to finish and appropriately enough sing a song. He says, the army began to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. So one voice makes a difference. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was lost in the choir, hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts, and instinctively I knew which one of them I was made to sing. We sing for joy at the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony. No, wait. There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great throne, and upon it sat the king, the audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we finished our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his arms and clapped his scarred hands together. In thunderous applause, shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. The king's approval is all that matters and ever will. You know, so often when we come together to sing, we're, we're much more aware of the people around us and what they might think than the God we're singing to and what he thinks. And my prayer is that as you've heard this message, that begins to shift. That we become much more aware of who it is we're singing to and what he's done for us in Christ. Some of us don't sing because we think it's for the musically gifted or the musically trained. You know, we see the musicians up here say, well, they'll do it. They're, they're good. Or you know, we hear someone with a good voice. We think, oh, well, they'll do it. The, the question is not, has God given me a voice? The question is, has God given me a song? And if you're one of those that has trusted in Jesus Christ to pay the punishment for your sins, and you are no longer headed for hell, you are headed for heaven, eternal joys at his right hand, I can assure you, you have been given a song to sing. 
a song that you're going to be singing forever. And we get to practice here. This is just preparation for that day. I, I don't want to get to the new heavens and the new earth and, and hear everybody singing and go, ah, it's not really my thing. I just don't sing. Well, I can assure you, if you're there, you'll be singing. And you'll know why. Because he's worthy. Because he is worthy. And that song's going to continue throughout eternity to the glory of the one who made us and redeemed us. And we're going to join in on it right now, right after I pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Someone says, you know, how's the music in your church? People usually mean the band. You're the music in the church. And so take this opportunity to let the song that God has given you spill out. Not only today, but every time we gather. Because I'm not going to be here next week to check on you. I'm just trusting that you're going to be responding to the message.